1: Hey everyone, welcome to The Final Four is Not on the Schedule. I'm your host Eric alongside with expert analyst Rod. Thanks for joining us on The Best MSU Basketball Podcast featuring an in-depth recruiting, game matchup and post-game analysis. We dive deep to give you the best tools to enjoy the Spartans and impress your friends and family. Hey everybody, this is Eric alongside Rod, and we are delighted to be joined today with by bracket Dom or uh, Dominic Lease. He's uh, I guess the number 2 bracketologist is probably the best way to put it. He is uh, the founder and the lead bracketologist. Oh, <laughs> the, the founder and lead bracketologist <laughs> for bracketometry.com. So he's the number 2 most accurate bracketologist or bracketology service in the country uh, per bracket matrix. So I had this question I was asking myself probably a couple weeks ago. I'm like you know, I know, I never really paid attention to, to how Joe Lenardi, he's obviously the most famous one, ESPN, doing all the interviews. How accurate are his predictions? I feel like, you know, he misses a couple here and there. There must be someone who actually, like, grades this. And so I looked in and sure enough found found you. So you're number two, and they grade you based on how often you get the, the teams correct, and then how close you are to the seeding line. And so, you know, you're basically, you had everything right last year, right? I mean, within... Within a seed line,
2: yeah. Every team within one seed line, all sixty out of sixty eight. Even Texas A and M out, the big controversial one I had. Right, so. <laughs>
1: and so so we want to have you on because you're going to be you know much more accurate, and it makes me feel more comfortable knowing what the seating is and sort of the the situation and things. Uh, so you're also a contributor to Primetime Sports Network, a voter for the Rockin' Twenty Five poll, uh, and just to give a comparison, you know when you look at the rankings, Joe Lenardi comes in at number eighty eight. Uh, Jerry Palm who's over at CBS who I have always felt is not very good uh, he's 125th <laughs> Andy Katz who you see at Big Ten network oftentimes he's ranked number 98th Bracketville you've seen that sometimes he's number 70. so we got number two so anyway that's uh
3: I, I wanna I want to just offer one word of defense for Andy Katz Andy Katz I don't think is putting himself forward as a bracketologist. sure he's he's doing it Fair. but that's not his primary function some of these other guys, it's yeah that that's where i think they're due a little more heat
2: yeah i mean yeah i mean i don't want to harp on fellow bracketologists too much but when that's your job that you're paid for and i'm doing this as a hobby and i'm number two and you're number like 150 something (laughs) uh, that's all i'm saying
3: (laughs) well and and that's not it's not as if we're talking about a one-year fluke with the biggest names really i mean I've, i've been aware eric said he just really looked at it fairly recently i've been interested in this stuff for for quite a number of years so i i've been well aware of the fact that the biggest names are mediocre to bad pretty much always and so i guess well eric i'll let you start and then we're going to get into what kind of tools you use but we'll we'll get into that in a second right okay. yeah
1: so uh for those of you watching video welcome to the final fours on the schedule or michigan state basketball podcast uh, for those of you listening on audio Obviously, you know what show you've selected, so you know exactly your, your home where you <laughs> belong. And to all supporters uh, who support us financially through one-time gifts or through a monthly donations to your Patreon, thank you so much. This is the sort of extra content we like providing for you guys because, you know, this is it's you know of interest to me and to Rod, but also to all of you, I know, because it is March and this is, you know, Michigan State's time of the year. We're very used to this sort of thing because it's this will be probably the 25th. Was it twenty fifth straight time the Michigan State will be in? Yep. And they because we missed one yep. year because of COVID, and so that would have been probably twenty six uh, with since the Michigan State you know had done well, the will, Big Ten yeah. tournament. All right. Uh, so the first question I had for you really is a bracketology. I mean, it's not a real thing, right? Like no one goes to school to be a bracketologist. <laughs> it's a made up thing, right?
2: I wish I would have if I could. have. So yeah. how did you end up
1: getting into this? I mean, you're obviously really good at it. So I mean, it's, you know, you don't take classes. So how did you decide to do this? It,
2: I think it kind of ties back to what you guys said originally with just how a lot of those top guys really are just not great at it. I mean, all the years, like, I was trusting, I, following college basketball, as a big fan. I was looking at, like, Lenardi's bracketology, trusting it. And then every year the bracket would come out. And, like, why was I taking this as gospel? This was so off of what it was. So every year I started kind of looking at it more and was like, all right, well, if this isn't going to be accurate, let me see what I think teams would be at. Let me look at what the committee looks at. And then just starting to really get into it. And eventually I was like, oh, right, well, I mean, if I'm trying to just figure it out myself, why don't I just actually do this myself? All the guys I've been following and trying to figure out where teams are seem to be off. I think I could do a better job. And then I was hooked after doing it for one year so.
1: Yeah. So that, yeah. And it is again shocking that you have someone who, well, and I think it's uh, a little bit like we we make predictions before the season where the Big Ten standings are going to be, 1 through 14. And, you know, it's easy to not ever go back and say, you know, how good were we? You know, were we close? Were we far off? And so yeah. I'm holding Robin yeah, accountable this. year. I usually to- <laughs> prefer.
2: Well, yeah, and that's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. Now, to be it's, fair, it's, if I tried to get into the prediction business before season, like I, right. I, I released preseason bracketology, too, and I'm sure that was – Terrible, but as far as projecting where teams are based on what they've actually done, I think I'm yeah, all right. Great. So <laughs> can, I,
3: can I ask you a, a related question, I guess, to this before we get into the actual yeah. inputs you're using? At what point in the season do you actually start working on this?
2: No, that's a great question because I'll release probably in the first few months of the season uh, a bracketology per month, but it's not fully based on what teams have done. I mean, if you try to do a bracketology purely based on results after each team's played, what, five games, you're going to have teams right. in wild spots that you know they're not going to end up at. So probably the first one or two I do uh, before just before the new year starts, really before January, are kind of more like projections slash what have you done so far. And then really, once the new year hits, once it's January after the holiday season that's when I'm really just basing it off of what teams have done, where they would be now if the season finished, and, and things like that.
3: Okay, and that's I, – I can't recall, but it seems to me like every – it's kind of like Christmas and Halloween. Yeah. Every year it seems ESPN is earlier and <laughs> earlier with their bracketology to the point that I think, I think they do a bracketology now – shortly after the regular season ends for the next year. If I, I, I remember correctly, the day after the
2: championship that. game. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which, which is, is just insane. Yeah. Um, well, no, I get it. They need to get their clicks, but
3: yeah, but, but at some point, you know, does, does accuracy or actually offering insight matter or not? <laughs> um, so I guess then turning to how you do what you do, you know, you mentioned that you were kind of, brought into this uh, as a result of seeing how others who had high profile weren't particularly accurate. And you figured, okay, I think I can build a better mousetrap here. So what do you use? And I'm not asking you to give away the store here, obviously, but
2: what, do
0: you <laughs> no, no, use, no,
3: it's all... what do you use to determine both the field and, and seating? So we, we know the general tools, um, net, which has replaced RPI in recent seasons is is obviously a big one. Um, the committee always talks about quality wins and bad losses in terms of quad one, quad two, quad three, quad Mm -hmm. four. Um, is that it? Are there other tools you use in particular? And then, um, you know, what kind of weighting? again, without giving away too much, I don't want to ask you to do that, but. But what kind of weighting do you apply to those various
0: tools?
2: No for sure I love being totally transparent with the process. I mean the committee goes out there and they tell us what they use and it's just kind of our job to, to put the pieces of the puzzle together and try to try to see it through their eyes and how they'll analyze the data. But I mean the first thing you said, the net in a way is the most important and the least important thing and it, in sense of your actual net ranking, Really doesn't matter. I mean, a team with a net of eighty could make it, where a team with a net of thirty-five could be out. What well, did, they really didn't, didn't the we, for, not, Go ahead.
3: Not to interrupt you, but didn't we see that last year? I believe Rutgers was maybe seventy seventh. Yes, yes, Rutgers so seventy seven or
2: seventy eight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, really, all that's hurting isn't Rutgers. It's hurting the teams that beat Rutgers because they right. really use the net more for evaluating wins like you would reference to the quad one quad two quad three quad four that's really the only thing the net is in place for to kind of group your wins so you can say like all right a team has this record in quad one this record in quad two this record in quad three and this record in quad four and they use the net to group those based on like what the net of that team that you beat was right now of course it's the net that that team has at this current time. So that's always something that gets a little tricky right. too. I mean, you could get a a quad two win, and then that team that you beat at the time was a quad two win, they go on a run, suddenly that bumps up to a quad one win. Like North Carolina, for example, is rooting really hard for Michigan to get into the top 50, so that can be a quad one win, which they desperately need. We
3: We have seen that with Michigan State over the last week or so. They've been bouncing back and forth between, I believe, between seven and eight quad one wins as teams kind of slipped in and out. So, yeah, I'm familiar with that phenomenon. Makes sense.
2: For sure. And then, I mean, on, on the same in the same vein, also, it's not just is it quad one or is it quad two? I think people like you said, it's kind of slipping in between the two, but the committee will look at that as well. And I think that's one thing a lot of bracketologists do kind of overlook. They just kind of look at it as it's a quad one win or it's a quad two win. But if it's a quad one win, that's one spot away from quad two that's obviously not being evaluated at the same level of, of good witness. I don't know what a better <laughs> term for that is. It's being right, the number right. one net team on the road, obviously. So you got to – and even on the committee's team sheets, they have quad one separated into quad one A and quad one B and quad okay. two separated into quad one A – or, sorry, quad two A and quad two B. So Right, so it, it, cuts
3: the, it, it cuts the other way as well, then, is what you're saying, that if you have a quad two win – that was right on the borderline of being a quad one, that's going to be probably more helpful to you in some sense than something that was a a win over a team that's much deeper on the quad two list.
2: Absolutely. I mean, the same goes for like evaluating bad wins, like to something, Oh, they have a quad three loss, but if it's a quad three loss to, the number 76 net team at home. I mean, that's one away from a quad two. The committee is going to look at that and, and understand that and not punish them enough to where if it was a, an almost quad four loss in the quad three.
3: Right. So what else besides, you say, it sounds to yeah. me like you say net is really most properly understood as a sorting mechanism Correct. rather than rather than, hey, number 35 is clearly better than number 50. What else besides that are you looking at?
2: And then really it's the metrics, but people think metrics are all lumped into just like the metrics. They really kind of separate into two different types of metrics. There's result-based metrics and then predictive Predictive, metrics. Sure. Yeah. And the result-based metrics, that's KPI, that's strength of record. And those are kind of more similar to the old RPI, really just evaluating just who you beat, where uh, how tough your schedule was compared to what your record is, where the predictive metrics are taking a Palm. lot more into consideration. Yeah. yeah Ken Palm, uh, Sa- Sagrin, BPI. Those are taking a lot more into consideration. Like, what? how efficient are you? How much are you beating these teams by? And those are kind of more used for seeding more than selection, which I think also people don't realize. Like, if your predictive metrics are really bad, but you've pulled out a bunch of really tight wins that you had no business winning, they're not going to not put you in because, oh, this team got lucky. No, you still got those wins. That's going to show up in the results-based metrics. You're going to end up in the field. But on the flip side, if you're a team that's probably has, just looking at who they beat, who they lost to, oh, that's a seven seed for sure but then you look at their predictive metrics and you realize, oh, this team is probably overachieved. They are going to seed you lower because of that, but they aren't going to necessarily keep a team out of the field for that. It's kind of more the predictive metrics weighing heavier on seeding of teams that are in and those result-based metrics weighing heavier around the bubble.
3: Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Anything, anything, anything else that you, that you look at, um, besides those those systems?
2: Uh, I mean, uh, like I said, it's really just all, uh, several of the metrics. I kind of, in my spreadsheet that I use, I have a few result-based metrics that they weigh heavy on, and I kind of have a system that averages them together. So, like, this is their average result-based metric, and this is their average in the the predictive metrics. That way I'm not trying to look at five at once and remember what they all were. Um, right. and, yeah, as well as just also the wins, the quad one, quad two, quad three, quad four wins and losses. And on that, quad four losses are very harmful historically. And we got a few teams this year with good resumes that have a few. I'm going to be really interested to see how teams like a and and Clemson fare, because that could be some good data for the future.
3: <laughs> There's also one close to us that is, <laughs> yes, having, yes. is having their... Uh, Fortunately, is having um, their resume dragged down by a Quad 4 loss to Central Michigan. Um, so I yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. Well, let, let me the last question on, on this point, I wanted to ask you is there's always, and, and we may have another test of it this year, this concept. There is a sense that if you've got a close call and it involves a so-called blue blood or at the very least, let's say with Michigan state where they, they don't qualify as the bluest of blue bloods, but they're an elite program historically. So even somebody in that range, say in the, you know, six to 15 range in terms of all time, you know, perception wise, Mm -hmm. um, that those programs will get the benefit of the doubt. And, You know, there's lots of supposed reasons for this. If you get into conspiracy type thinking that, well, the committee wants to make sure that these programs with big followings are part of it for the ratings, um, that they just get the benefit of the doubt because the rich get richer. Uh, Do you think that happens? Do you think that's real?
2: I'm giving the committee the benefit of the doubt to where I don't think they do that intentionally. Okay. Uh, now at the same time, I, I think there can be a little bit of confirmation bias there where if the bubble's really close on the cut line between Kentucky and I'm just throwing out random teams, like say Kentucky and Wyoming were right, right. Neck and neck for the last spot in the field. Their resumes were almost identical in every single way in the back of their heads. They're going to think the answer has to be Kentucky. <laughs> and then they're going to start nitpicking in the metrics right. and kind of finding the ones that do favor Kentucky. And I don't know if they're doing that intentionally. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt and say they don't, because historically they they haven't always, I mean, there have been blue bloods left out. There have been some sure. random majors that have made it. One year Tulsa made it with no right being in there. So, I mean, if they really hated mid-majors, that would have <laughs> never happened. But right. I do think when it's close, uh, yeah, they're not doing it on purpose, but if it really is a coin flip, I, i'm gonna I'm gonna push in the the blue blood as well if I can't decide because I think that confirmation bias is going to be in their heads.
3: So you would you, but you would say you you don't believe in the years. How long have you been doing this by the way? I don't think we asked that.
2: This is my I believe fifth year doing it like officially, where I've had right. a website. I've been running the Twitter. I've been on the bracket matrix. And like I said, kind of probably more, made like eight years ago, uh, okay. once I started realizing like, man, I've been following bracketology for years and then it's just, it's it's not accurate. <laughs> I, I was kind of doing it myself just to kind of test myself. Like, sure. oh, let me, maybe I'm better at this. Maybe I can beat Lenardi and I, mean, I can beat Jerry Palm. And I did it a couple of years myself and I was comparing my results. It's like, ah, I actually am doing <laughs> kind of well. Let's try to market this a little bit more. Let's so, try to make this thing.
3: <laughs> so in that time, you don't feel like you've seen enough evidence to feel like there's a definitive power program bias. It's just that it may get in there kind of um, uh, unconsciously in the minds of the committee and that that can lead to those results. Occasionally. I mean, it sure looks like we might have an instance of that coming up with, at the very least with North Carolina.
0: Yes. I mean, they, (laughs)
3: they look like they're going to be a great test of this.
2: Yeah, I don't think it's I mean, if anything, the, the bias towards the power conferences just kind of comes with how the committee has said they evaluate teams. I mean, just the amount of weight they put on volume of quad one wins, right? And uh, right, sure. the fact that those power conference teams get so many more chances at it. I mean, you'll yep. see a team that goes three and 10 in Q1, but it's like, oh, they have three Q1 wins. I mean, some of those mid majors that had two chances at it all year and went one and one. I think they would have gotten three out of 13 as well, but they just don't get those opportunities sure, sure. to do. So right. I think that, that's where the quote-unquote bias is, but they're, they're evaluating it the way they say they will analytically. It's just the way they say they will analytically does give an edge towards those teams.
3: Sure. I've, I've always been of the opinion that, you know, Michigan State, as you may know, typically plays a very challenging non-conference, and usually a few losses come along with that. And invariably, it's people have the uh, the memory of goldfish. They every year, like clockwork, people get worked up about this. And my philosophy has always been, hey, if Michigan State takes care of business in the Big Ten, it all works itself out. So there's no reason to get that exercised usually about a non-conference performance if you're a member of the Big Ten and you believe that your team is good enough to do a good job in the Big Ten because there are ample opportunities pretty much well in a normal year let's say 80% of the conference games you play are going to be reasonably highly rated opponents so you know the the opportunities are always there
0: oh i
2: think also i mean it benefits you guys playing that non conference strength of schedule because for sure really the only times you see teams in power conferences really hurt by their out-of-conference, is when they played bad teams out-of-conference and they lost to them. And if all you do is play mostly good teams out-of-conference, sure, you lose a few, but in the long run, a couple of Q1, q uh Quadrant 1, Quadrant 2 losses out-of-conference isn't going to kill you in the long run. Right. You play a cupcake schedule out-of-conference, you play only Quad 3 and Quad 4 games, and you lose two or three of those. Yeah, the overall eleven and two record might be nice, but you have no wins of note, and you have two bad losses already. Now you're kind of digging yourself a hole. So a- ab-
3: absolutely, and I think that's that's also too. That's the challenging part, or, or so I've seen it said. By um, Michigan State, we're fortunate to have you mentioned KPI. Um, I believe that's yeah. Kevin Kevin's system. Yeah. Program, yeah, and and he's one of those guys that's uh, considered an expert in scheduling. And I believe I've heard him say, and I've certainly heard other figures in the game talk about how difficult it is to schedule, because when you get into those so-called bye games in November and December, you might not have a really good sense at the time you make that schedule. Well, is this going to be a team that maybe slots into a decent range in terms of where they sit in the metric systems, or are they going to be a central Michigan? (laughs) where where it's god-awful. And that's a really tough trick to turn it. So maybe the only way you get around that is you just don't schedule many of those games at all.
2: For sure, because you could schedule a team like, I mean, they schedule these games so far in advance now, too. You could schedule Central Michigan in a year that they're second place in the MAC, 70th in the net, and like, oh, that'll be a fun out-of-conference test. Four years later, you play them. They're terrible. It's a Q4 game, and you lose to them, and it tanks your entire resume. Right, right. Agreed. I would say, I mean, even if you want to play a few buy games, play some of those perennial mid-majors that are good every single year to where even if you lose to them, it's only going to be a quad three loss, which doesn't nearly tank you as much as quad four. I think people realize how much of the difference on a Q4 loss. I mean, you can almost say it's like three quad three losses. They really are detrimental. Sure. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Uh, it's, so I want to just uh, recognize one of our sponsors <clears throat> is Nudge Printing. Uh, you can go to nudgeprinting.com. You can great, get, pick up some great Spartan apparel. They, uh, they and We just mentioned the last show. They've printed over 15,000 shirts for Spartan Strong, which helps support the uh, shooting victims from the Spartan uh, tragedy on the 13th and Michigan State's campus. So Gabe and Brittany are both Michigan State alums. They're great people. It's Michigan-based in Portland, Michigan. All high-quality shirts and products. It's screen printing. Check them out. And you can get other schools as well. In fact, this may be somewhat interest to Dom here, they have Texas State available. So if you want to get Texas State t-shirts, sweatshirts, or something like that, you can certainly (laughs) go to nudgeprinting.com. And for listeners of the show, you can get 20% off by typing in the final four into the coupon code, and you can pick up your gear today. Uh, So- the, the question on the mind of everyone, you know, there are people on the message board say, Hey, make sure you ask about Michigan State." I'm like, don't worry. We are Michigan State basketball podcast. <laughs> we will absolutely ask about Michigan State seating. So Michigan State lost, you know, a heartbreaker and I would say just a totally ridiculous game. Uh, they've, yes. they've, as we mentioned, they've had a tough, uh, non-conference schedule and playing about 500 ball in Michigan in uh, the big 10, but has not even been able to play Minnesota, the worst team, in the big 10, and they actually won't play them because it got canceled. But, uh, where do you see them right now in the seating i mean we assume they're in the field we assume that it'd take a disaster for them not to make the field at this point uh and then you know where do you see them sort of you know the ceiling and the floor maybe for the for the season assuming they don't make a run all the way through the big Ten tournament which case you know, it's hard to predict that yeah <laughs>
2: for sure no i right now uh, at least before this weekend i had them as one of the lower seven seeds. And a loss at Iowa in overtime in that heartbreaking fashion, that could have bumped you guys up, but it's really not going to lower them that much either. I think people always want to overreact to losses and say like, oh, well, they're going down a seed line now. Now you lose a game like that. It's more you missed an opportunity to go Mm -hmm. up. So they're probably still sitting there around like the bottom of the seven line. Maybe an eight, depending on just uh, I'm doing another scrub, new bracket tomorrow, just depending on how much some other teams kind of rose above them, how their metrics went up, but still pretty solidly in that seven to eight range. And I'd have a hard time at the end of the regular season, at least even seeing them out of that area. I mean, their last two games, both Q2 games, and right now they have a four and one Q2 record. I mean, assuming they don't lose both of those. That going to six and one or that going to five and two at this point of the season with so much data really doesn't change much. So I would say they're kind of pretty solidly in that seven to eight range. If they win both, probably at least a seven, uh, if they split them, maybe closer to an eight. Um, and again, it could be higher if a bunch of other teams in that range have some bad losses or or vice versa. A bunch of teams below them start picking up amazing wins in the last <laughs> couple of games, but I feel pretty good with them saying like at a seven or eight, but like you said, as far as their ceiling goes, and if they, let's not say win the big 10 tournament, but maybe they go on a run and make the, the semifinal, the final, I think a six at least would be reasonable. I would say they would probably have a resume even better than that of like maybe even a five seed, but as we saw last year with A&M, and we've seen historically Conference tournament runs really don't impact you as positively as they should. And I think that's because as the conference tournaments are getting underway, the committee's already met. They've kind of already talked about their general idea of where teams are. So in general, when you look at these brackets, you don't want to look at in terms of a team moving up or down with a loss. You want to look at it just like, all right, looking fresh. What is this resume compared to this resume? except for conference tournaments, because then the committee has already done that. And now they're kind of in the mode of just shifting teams where they might not jump up or move down as much as they should based on those conference tournament results. So
3: that that brings to mind a really quick question on that point. I wanted to bring up this is something that in Big Ten country we hear every single year because the Big Ten tournament is, I believe, is always the last one played before the Mm brackets announced. There has, for many years now, been a belief that it really doesn't matter what happens in that game. That you, if you win it and you win the Big Ten tournament, you don't get the bump that maybe a winner of a conference tournament that I think the ACC's is usually on Saturday, if I remember correctly, for example. Do you, have you seen anything in the time you've been doing that to lend any credence to, to that, or do you think it's basically just conference tournaments in terms of who wins them really doesn't matter all that much in terms of the impact on seeding, regardless of whether you're playing on Friday or Saturday or Sunday?
2: I would say, I mean, I almost try to completely disregard even the Saturday results because I think the committee is trying to get it finalized by then. But to to your point, I do think the closer it gets to the actual selection show, the even less impact it has. So even those Saturday conference tournament games, I don't think are having the impact that they should. But the Big Ten being on Sunday probably is even having less of an impact because they have to have that bracket out 30 minutes later. Really, the only time I would say that that game really is going to affect your seeding is if those two teams are like right next to each other, almost fighting for the like, say they go into it like, all right, these are the eight and nine on our seed list. They might say, okay, winner. let's have two two conditional brackets. Winner of this game gets to the three. Loser gets the two. But on the flip side, you get a surprise run by someone like Michigan or Michigan State run makes all the way to the, the final against Purdue, I don't think that's going to affect Purdue's seed, win or loss, or or whoever makes it uh, to the final, unless it's a team that was on the bubble and maybe wouldn't make it unless they actually won it.
3: Yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right about that. You know, slotting phenomenon. I can think of uh, there was a year in in the 2012 final where Michigan State played Ohio State for the title, and it seemed pretty obvious, and it did turn out this way whoever won the championship was going to get the one and whoever lost it was going to get a two seed. And that's exactly what happened.
2: Yeah. I I remember that. And I I think you're spot on, but yeah, if they had been further apart in the seed list might not have mattered at all.
3: (laughs) Okay. So I think we've got a pretty good sense of how you see Michigan state. It, It looks like a seven or eight is, is most realistic, maybe an upside if they really do some good work over the next two weeks, sneaking into a six, but that's, that's kind of the
2: range. Um where and Then do you I, w- I mean I guess yeah. I would say if they lost out if they lost right. both games and a bad, yeah. yeah and then had a bad loss in the first round of the tournament picked up three more losses down the stretch maybe then we probably would see them as the as the road team quote unquote in the first game as like a 9 maybe even as low as a 10 but even right. if they did that they're they're going to be in the field. A right? 10 would be the absolute worst if they lost their last okay. three games. I think you can safely say they are a lock in the field at this point. That, right. That's
3: that's how I've seen it, but uh, I think that's going to make a lot of listeners breathe easy. <laughs> uh, not, not that I expect them to test that, but you never know. Um,
2: now, don't come so, screaming at me when they lose out. And like bubble teams all well, pull gonna, out amazing victories, at, but that either, I feel good calling them a lock. <laughs> <laughs>
3: um, so we we've got a sense of how you see MSU. Uh, turning more in in a broader scope to the Big Ten as a whole, where do you see the Big Ten as a league relative to other leagues nationally? And the sense I've gotten is that they're generally viewed as the second-best league
2: behind the Big 12. Is that how you see it? I I think I would definitely agree with that. I think there's a much bigger gap this year than other years. I think the Big 12 is definitely – uh, far in a way, the best conference in in basketball this year. I mean, it, all ten of those teams. I think if they were in any other conference, would probably probably be tournament teams. It's it's ridiculous how how stacked they are this year. But I do feel like pretty good saying they're the second, if not it, the very worst, the third. The SEC is maybe kind of right there, but I think you guys are just a lot deeper. Uh, so I, I would feel comfortable calling you guys the second best conference, but maybe closer to third this year to the SEC than to first with how good the big 12 has been. But second feels like an accurate ranking for sure.
1: And so then the first question always with, you know, well, the first question is how's Michigan state seed line, line look? And the second question <laughs> is always the team that <laughs> oh, the, the team it. that lives rent free in our minds that we can't help. The University of Michigan, they made the last two Sweet Sixteens, which I think is more than anything uh, irritating our fan base so much because they've had a little bit of success in the tournament, unexpected both times. And Michigan say, you know, it's been three years since we've been to the Final Four. It's been forever. So, you know, it's, it's really it's, – For you it's guys, been, been I mean, been it's forever, been forever. Yeah. I mean, I can barely remember that far, Dom. <laughs> uh, it's hardly worth watching them anymore because they barely make the final four. Uh, so, um, so Michigan—they're playing really well right now. I think there's any question about that. They're playing much better than they were earlier in the season. They had some, you know, bad losses. Where does Michigan sit? What does Michigan have to do to get in the field? Or the the uh, opposite of that be is what do they have to do so that we don't have to worry about them being in the field? That's really what we want to know. <laughs>
2: At this point, it's funny. I actually have them out right now, but I'm having a hard time seeing how I keep them out down the stretch. They're like, unless they lose out, their last two games are both road Q1A games. Right. I mean, not just quadrant one, like I said, they split them two road Q1 top of Q1 games. And given where their resume is now, if they just get one of those two. And losing the other isn't going to hurt them. I think that's going to be enough to elevate them at least from where I have them in the first four out to at least the first four in. And then barring any bad loss in the first round of the conference tournament. And I would say split those last two games and win their first conference tournament game. They're probably in. So if you guys don't want to worry about Michigan, I think... They need to lose their last two. Uh, now, at the same time, like I said, they're two really difficult games that they have. So could they lose both oh, yeah, of those? Sure. 100%. And then at that point, they would probably need to make a deep conference tournament run to even be in consideration. But That, that was going to be my next question. So let's assume, and we're not going to hold you to this, obviously,
3: <laughs> but just, yeah. just talking here, let's assume that they lose at Illinois and at Indiana to end the season. And yes. They go into the Big Ten tournament in that scenario do you think two big 10 tournament wins would be enough or you think it would be three and i See, guess it also depends on who they're playing
2: right it, yeah that that's what two things is what makes it tough one who they're playing and then two it's just the committee is always so inconsistent on how they evaluate like i said conference tournament runs now i think what would help them is that where teams really don't get the benefit of, like, the credit of those games or, like, in those later Friday, True. Saturday, Sunday games. Right. So, what day? Remind me, the Big Ten tournament starts Wednesday. on a Wednesday. Yeah. Right. Yes. So, I mean, theoretically, they could get at least, like, even if they start on Thursday, two solid wins before the Saturday game that might not as have as much of an impact. So... I would say, yeah, they would need to get at least two and then just pray that the committee is still watching and evaluating on Friday and Saturday when they're playing those good games. But I, 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 might still keep them out. I mean, last year I did the same thing with A&M. They were on the bubble, won a bunch of games, got to the SEC tournament final. And was like, I, I think they're already set. I didn't have them close to in now. I don't care how much that helped their resume. I, I think you got to keep them out and a lot of bracketologists didn't. I did, and that's what helped me get towards the top last year. So maybe Michigan will do the same thing for me this year. I'll lose their next two, go on a deep tournament run. I'll keep them out and get some more points.
3: <laughs> All right, Make so, it, yeah, so you guys happy? Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure. <laughs> oh yeah. No, we're, we're looking for two losses for sure to really put the heat on. But I, I think that's the, that's what's such a difficult thing about it this year is normally you have much more well defined tiers in the Big Ten. As I'm sure you're aware this year, it's a mess. And, and the one thing we had been saying, which is, well, you, it's Purdue, a couple of teams at the bottom who are awful. And then everybody else in a giant middle-class, but now even Purdue has been coming back to the pack. So I think trying to predict who you're going to, and the scenarios for what seeds, people are different teams are going to have in this thing are endless. I've never seen it like this Mm -hmm. Uh, because you're going to get into tiebreakers and you don't know who you might be in a tiebreaker against at this point. I mean, it's just really difficult to discern what that path is even going to look like for Michigan right now, who they'd
0: have to play.
2: Yeah, it's so. so jumbled. We can't. It's not gonna be like, oh, they'll have to beat this team. The first, this—I right. mean, literally, they could play any endless combination of teams. So it's gonna be a lot clearer once the the conference tournament bracket is set for sure. But until then, like you said, it's who knows. <laughs> it's like that across all of college basketball this no, year, I- in terms of conference standings, yeah. seedings. This has been one of the more Years full of parody than I can remember. I mean, I feel that, that sounds cliche. I feel like people say that every year, but this year especially, it's true.
3: No, I, I this is something we've spent a lot of time talking about, that it's true, not just in the Big Ten, but when I look nationally, you just you do not have the kind of elite teams at the top that we're used to seeing. And and then there's even that next group of teams after that that seems much smaller than normal. It just seems to me like it's a year where everybody's got real flaws. And so, I mean, you obviously, you know, what you're doing is trying to pick this field and slot teams into the appropriate, uh, the appropriate seeds, which is, I, I gather at the end of the day, it's simply an evaluation of the work that people have done to this point. But the next step to it, when people who enter their bracket pools and try to predict how this stuff is going to go, I don't know how anybody is going to make sense of this thing because.
2: It's I
0: don't just think I'm right going way. to
2: either. Right? I'm I'm yeah. never good at actually filling out the brackets <laughs> as much as I am yeah. predicting what they look like. I, I mean, I'm usually towards the upper end of bracket pools. I mean, I know what I'm doing, but I'm not I'm not number two in every bracket pool. I'll put it right. that way.
1: <laughs> You're always losing Marge, who just picks based on mascots, right? In the office, right? Yeah. Um, so uh, then, I guess the next question is: You know, the rest of the Big Ten field? Uh, my wife's a big, huge Hawkeyes fan. Iowa. You know, how does Iowa stack up? And and then, you know, which teams, I guess, you know, go from top to bottom, the teams that are in, the teams that are not in, sort of what the few teams that are on the bubble, or you maybe have a remote chance of getting like, let's say Penn State or, uh, you know, Wisconsin, sure. the teams probably near the bottom.
2: I got asked, did you watch the Michigan State game with your wife? How was that? You know, end? we have to do this. We have to do
1: this t- twice a year, Dom. We have to, we have to football game too sometimes. And so. It's uh, you know, it's something we just kind of work our way through. She's always very upbeat. She's like, "Well, someone's going to be happy." I'm like, "Yeah, well, that also means someone's going to be sad." And so, I was feeling great that game until the, until I was the end.
2: Say, and you were the happy one for about thirty nine minutes. That yeah. was the
1: uh, yeah, most bizarre ending, obviously. I mean, that was the one in a, one in ten thousand or one in a million or something ending. But yeah, so we get through it fine. Uh, you know, we we stay married, so it's, it's been okay for us. But she's and she's not a crazy. She's not a crazy fanatical fan like where she just goes. Um, She doesn't have unrealistic expectations of her team, which Rod points out a lot of times other fan bases might have within the big 10.
2: Yeah. Yeah. If you guys are still married after that game, then I think it's a, (laughs) it's a rock solid. (laughs) But no, I'll I'll answer your question as far as, I mean, obviously Purdue in the mix for a one seed. I had lock. I mean, the next few teams I'll go in order. I think Indiana is really starting to make a strong push here. Um, They're, they're probably going to be a top four seed at this point and obviously they were the preseason favorite and for a while i was kind of wondering why <laughs> and now i think we're starting to see it. <laughs> um Northwestern despite that loss to Maryland is still in in very good shape. They're probably going to be somewhere probably similar to Michigan State, maybe slightly above still kind of like in that 6 to 7 instead of 7 to 8 seed range. Right. Um Illinois probably before that Ohio State loss i would have said similar as well, but they're probably kind of right there with Michigan State now, probably projected as about a seven. Um, Obviously, Maryland, by beating Northwestern, gave themselves a nice little bump. I had them as a seven. I want to move them up to a six, but they've still beaten absolutely no one on the road, uh, which the committee does usually punish teams for. So might still have them in that seven area, even though – As a whole, their resume is probably a little better than that. Just That's a pretty glaring flaw that the committee loves to punish, not beating anyone on the road. Um, Iowa, like you said, uh, maybe would have been in a little trouble had they not picked up that win versus Michigan State. But now I think they're pretty, very solidly in, um, probably even as a single-digit seed at this point. So that was a pretty crucial comeback for them. Uh, then after that, I would go towards the teams that maybe are in the bubble a little bit. Um, well, the first one would have been on the bubble had they not pulled off an absolutely ridiculous yeah. last night by 19 Rutgers. on yeah. the road. Yes, yes. Yeah. I was ready to – I had their memoriam all typed up. I was going to say how Rutgers had been collapsing. They, they were trending towards out, but – Pulling out that win, man, that's I mean that's a good win that actually elevates them too. Is a, so I might probably even still have them in that nine seed range. Obviously, still not one hundred percent safe, but maybe they're about one win away at this point to where they could have been a lot more trouble otherwise. Uh, beyond that, now we're truly on the bubble. Um, Wisconsin, Michigan, Penn State are probably the three that really could go either 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 way um rutgers safer end of the bubble but those three coin flips maybe penn state not so much now i i think hell i mean i'm gonna look at their resume again tonight i haven't since yesterday had they won that rutgers game i would have maybe even slotted them into the field but it's so few opportunities left at this point of the season i even though i'm still probably going to have them close by dropping the ball in that one, I, I don't know if they have enough opportunities left to get themselves back in, even if they end up in that first four-out area. And then the other two are the ones that are literally right on the cut line. I had uh, Michigan is my fifth team out, and Wisconsin as my second-to-last team in, and that was before Michigan beat Wisconsin after that ridiculous game-tying three to force overtime So now it might be literally as close as – Wisconsin might be the last team in. Michigan might be the first team out. I mean, they are right there neck and neck. And head-to-head isn't usually a factor, but sometimes when it's super close, the committee will look at it. So that Michigan over Wisconsin win could be one we go back and look at and realize that's the reason Michigan made it over Wisconsin. I think good chance one of those two probably go in. So obviously big when one beats the other.
3: um it, it kind of related to this discussion every year uh, particularly as we head into uh the week after this one next week where you have the major conference uh, tournaments playing but also sometimes the mid majors uh, this concept of a bid stealer
1: mm-hmm. where
3: somebody you don't you don't see who wouldn't have gotten into the field otherwise goes out wins a conference tournament and how that can affect how many spots are available on the right side of the bubble. Um, obviously the major conferences, we don't have to talk about it because we know that stuff is unlikely, but, but it could happen. Do you see scenario, are there obvious scenarios? Like I think about teams like Florida Atlantic or or Charleston, maybe where if those teams don't win their conference tournament you think they're still likely to be in the field and that could end up bumping off one of these Wisconsin's or Michigan's that we're talking about.
2: I think you hit the nail on the head with Florida Atlantic. I think the conference USA is by far the most likely, uh, route for a bid stealer this year. I mean, they're probably still in unless they lose maybe in the first round of the conference USA tournament and pick up a really bad loss there. Um, The committee does seem to, like I said, that confirmation bias uh, count against losses for mid-majors in conference tournaments, maybe more than the power (laughs) conference teams. But uh, as long as they don't lose to a really bad team in it, I I I think they're going to be safely in. And the Conference USA is stacked. I mean, you got North Texas, UAB with Jelly Walker, a star. I mean, any of those teams could win it. And if any of you do, that's not FAU. That is bad news for all of those teams on the bubble. I mean – like I said, if, say, I had Wisconsin as the last team in, Michigan as the first team out, suddenly there's a bid stealer out of CUSA. Boom, that bumps them down. They're both out now. I mean. Right. And, and,
3: and, and, what about Charleston? And Do you see them in that same category or or not as much?
2: Not as much. Um, I, I don't think it's impossible. But, uh, again, their conference isn't nearly as good to the point where if they did lose right. in their conference tournament – that loss probably would be enough to keep them out. Meanwhile, Conference USA has some good teams. I mean, UAB, as long as they, I'm sorry, uh, FAU, as long as they make the semifinals of the Conference USA tournament, whoever they're losing to there really probably isn't going to hurt them that much. Charleston, they lose in in, uh, the Colonial, and whoever they lose to there, that's going to be a bad loss. And I would probably have them eh, close-ish, the bubble right now, but if they have one more bad loss, that probably pretty much eliminates them completely. And there's no okay. way they don't win the, I mean, there's, there's no way they would be in the at-large mix if they didn't lose another game. Cause then they would just get the AQ at that point.
3: Well, interesting. Cause they, they were a team that seemed to be getting a lot of that discussion as a potential at large um, earlier in the year, but I guess their resume has taken enough hits In the last
2: few weeks, take them in teams like that. It really just takes those like couple of losses to send your resume plummeting. I mean, when they only had the one loss and it was to North Carolina, and yeah, they're in great shape. Then they pick up two losses in a week, and you go from projected 10 seed to not even really anywhere towards the bubble, which is a shame because I think they're a really good team. I think if they played in a better mid-major league like the Conference USA, I think Charleston very well could be in the same position FAU is in right now. But it's just when you're playing that many games and every week, it's just a, another landmine that can only hurt you and help you. It's just hard to keep that up for so long. And eventually it was due to catch up with them.
3: Anybody, anybody else that you see fit into this category or is it really largely Florida Atlantic?
2: No, I would actually. I mean, you, you can never write off Villanova getting healthy at the right time. I know it's not right. common. To the big thieves from those power conferences. Well, schools, I, uh, yeah, I, I'm a Georgetown. Do it a few years back, yeah. right? Obviously, I mean, we don't,
3: right the, the major conferences, which I would consider the Big East a major conference in basketball terms. Certainly, um, sure. yeah, we can. We know we can see. Center. I mean, Christ, even in the Big Ten, I wouldn't bet money on it. But could Penn State get hot? a team that plays the way they do. They just have four days where they can't miss from
2: three. Could they win the so Penn, big 10 tournament? Sure. Yeah. Penn state would be an interesting one though, because if they made the final at that point, I'm not sure if they would be a bid stealer. Maybe at that point, their resume would be where it would need to be regardless, but okay, the I got time, they, they don't love factoring in those conference tournaments so much. I, I, that would be a tough call. I don't know, but they, they wouldn't be, they'd be one of those ones that like, are they a bid stealer or not? Kind of, what was it last year? Uh, when Virginia tech Oh right, uh, won the ACC right. tournament. Yeah. Right. It, it turned out based on where the seed list was that they were a bid stealer that had they not won it, they would have been out. But I think uh, myself included, I thought they were in winner loss. So at the time it was like, ah, oh, that's not a bid stealer. Turns out it was, that could be similar with Penn state. Now maybe Ohio State that would be a big steal for <laughs> that. <laughs> I it's wouldn't, hard I to wouldn't, like they did yeah. against Illinois, I but would,
3: <laughs> I wouldn't waste a lot of uh, a lot of thought on the likelihood <laughs> of that happening. Having seen a lot <laughs> of Ohio State, but I guess you never know. Um, but anybody yeah. else? Anybody else in that mid-major? I mean, when I when I think about this, I think about you know sometimes um, a team in a league like the WCC, you know those types of leagues. Is there any? Is there anybody else? sitting there that um, that you think or smaller leagues where it's a single bid league typically, or is it really just restricted to the teams that we've discussed in your mind you don't see anybody else that fits into that bid stealing category?
2: I mean theoretically if someone outside of St Mary's Gonzaga won the WCC, they would 100% be a bid stealer right and St. Mary's and Gonzaga are locks at this point and no one else is close to the bubble. But there's a reason those two are locks and no one else is close because they're just so much better than everyone else in that conference. I mean, maybe BYU, and they've played Gonzaga and St. Mary's stuff this year. Maybe Loyola Marymount. They've actually beat both this year, even though those seem like pretty big flukes. But I think when they're really fully focused in a conference tournament setting, I don't see any of those other teams touching Gonzaga or St. Mary's especially with the way they stagger their conference tournament to where those two basically get buys into the semifinals and <laughs> they don't want that to happen. So the only other one, I mean, outside of the power conferences, because I could see maybe the PAC 12 having a bid thief too, but sure. outside of that, the only one I would say maybe even as the slimmest possibilities would be the summit league with oral Roberts. I, Cause wow. it's,
0: it's, a good one. it's a tough
2: one to where they actually have a really good strength of schedule. And they're 27 and four, but their strength of schedule is good because of the four really good out-of-conference teams they played, and those are their four <laughs> losses. So had they just won one of those, I think they'd be in great shape. Now, I mean, does the committee just say, Well, they played a tough schedule and they're 27 and four against it? We can't keep them out. Maybe they look at it and do, but I think they would have had to win one of those games, especially because if they end up in this bid thief discussion, it means now they did lose to someone in conference finally, which would be a a bad loss now on their resume to go against no good wins. And at that point, they'd probably be out. I'd say maybe there's a a 10 5% chance that Oral Roberts could still make it with a loss in the final there. But as far as mid-majors go, I I think FAU really is our only – only bet is that, well, maybe the Mountain West, I guess if you count that as a mid-major. A team like New Mexico, who started the year so hot, but now is kind of fallen off and is likely not going to make it. Could they win the, the Mountain West? Sure. Could uh, San Jose State, who's having a nice resurgence season, win it? Maybe. I, I think the UNLV, who gets to play it at home, uh, they're not in, but could they be good enough to beat all those teams on their home floor? Sure. So, I mean, I I usually don't even consider the Mountain West a mid-major, even though it truly is. So, I guess that's the other answer to the question. Mid-major plus. Mid-major plus. Yeah. 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 And they're definitely better than Conference USA. I kind of put them more in, like, the WCC range with Gonzaga and St. Mary's. So, definitely could see. But at the same time, they also have so many teams that are going to – I mean, Nevada's going to be in – uh Boise State's probably gonna be in, San Diego State's gonna be in. So it's not like there's the one team and everyone else a bid thief. I mean, someone would have to knock off like all three of those teams that are gonna get at largest to be a bid thief, but it's definitely possible. Right yeah.
1: Well, uh you we have one of our listeners, uh Hazelmoats, uh sent us a question. His question was about Izzo and Izzo the way he coaches generally, if it's a blowout against a bad team or even a good team that he's you know up big. He'll put his reserves in earlier in the game, not try and run up the score, not try and win by 25, 30, 40 points or something, and, you know, somebody, especially the bye games. Is that something that hurts his seeding? Is that something that, that you know, if, with the metrics, is that is it better for him to just keep the starters in and just, you know, finish the team off by a ton?
2: I, I would say in the long run, I, probably yes, honestly, but not by enough to where I would say, Izzo, you need to change well, your whole philosophy. On I don't it. think I'd mean, ever say that. <laughs> Yeah, (laughs) exactly. In the end, if Michigan State ends as the seven seed, but they blew out a bunch more bad teams and their metrics were a little bit higher because of that, could they have been a six? Sure. Uh, So, I mean, if you really want to tire your starters out that much more game after game to where they have tired legs going into March, just to be one seed line higher... Yeah, but again, I, I'm kind of in the camp of ISO to where I I don't we don't need the that one extra seed line. We're good in March regardless. Uh, let the metrics fall where they do. And I guess the only time someone could argue to where uh, they should is, oh, well, what if we end up on the bubble? Won't we need those metrics then? But that's again where I said those predictive metrics that those blowouts would help really are only used for seeding and not selection. So to answer the question. Yes, it, it might hurt them by a seed, but I, I don't think it's worth it. I think what Isso was doing is fine.
3: <laughs> He's got a good track. Yeah, and I think that's been that's been the complaint is that um you have these systems that reward margin of victory. And because Michigan State doesn't tend to pour it on, um, and they tend to they tend to play more people anyway in terms of their rotation size, and then particularly in blowouts, they tend to go to that bench, the deep bench. A little earlier, um you know, people call it <laughs> jokingly or derisively "Ken Palm time." When, <laughs> yes, when you're in the last few minutes of a game and you're trying to keep that margin above 20, let's say. um So there've been there've been some complaints about that from some quarters of the fan base. But so it sounds like you think that there there is an effect to some small extent in terms of what it might do for your seating, but but not a massive one. I I wanted to ask you about, uh, there's been one particular team in the big 10 that has really caught people's attention in terms of how it has sat in these different systems, specifically in net and Ken Palm, uh, since those are the two that I think most people pay the most attention to. And that's Ohio state. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And I I just wonder, and I know you're not not responsible for these systems by any means, (laughs) but I'm wondering as somebody who obviously uses them, has some familiarity with what they're about, how do you explain Ohio State remaining as highly ranked as they were for as long as they were despite taking loss after loss after loss? And I think I know some of the general answers, but I'm curious how much attention you paid to their particular case, because it's gotten a lot of attention in our world.
2: For sure. And I mean, I think it's just because they've taken loss after loss after loss, but they've played an insane strength of schedule. And a lot of those losses were close. I mean, those predictive metrics will almost look at like a two-point loss the same as they'll look like at a two-point win. Those predictive metrics sure. don't even really care as much if you won or lost. It's just all of those efficiency margins. So, I mean, they lost to Purdue by two. I mean, they lost right. to Duke by nine, to Rutgers by four, to Illinois by nine. Those are all Q1A games that were single digits that, in terms of the metrics, those close losses – it might as well be close wins when you're looking at the predictive metrics. So the fact that they've played almost nothing but just those top two quadrant games and they've really stayed close in a lot of them. I mean, and heck, some of the wins that they do have, they weren't close. I mean, they destroyed Northwestern on the road. They, uh, was, they blew out Iowa at home. I think they blew out Illinois at home. So, I mean, efficiency wise, they've been an all right team. I mean, I think honestly that net ranking is kind of right. I mean, they probably are the 63rd best team ish in the country. (laughs) They've just had a lot of bad luck in close games. And now they're starting to kind of tail off because now the team's starting to lose belief because they lost a bunch. But I think if they had some better luck in those close games early on, And hovered more around five hundred. I think they'd still be a pretty good team. I think they've just had some bad luck and kind of fallen off the wayside because of it. But I think the predictive metrics are right to still reward you with wins, especially on the road at Ohio State.
3: Yeah, some. uh, I, I think what's been interesting to me is my my understanding of the way that those systems function has been that historically, over time, margin of victory. Or closeness of defeat, I guess the other way of the other side of the coin, yeah, is very closely tailored to, uh, I'll loosely use the term quality, um, to how yeah, cool no, team you are, right? That's the rationale, mm-hmm. right? And, 100%. and generally speaking, I have no doubt that that's true. In Ohio State's case, it's been given that you know, again we're watching these guys play all the time. And I think people who were actually watching them got to this a lot quicker that, Hey, this team's in trouble. They're not that good. They're not as good as the rankings would seem to indicate. They're they're going to find ways to lose. And that's for a variety of reasons. We don't need to waste time on here, but, yeah. but I do think that was the case. Um, I'm certain they're not the first weird outlier case, but, it was weird enough to make me wonder, is this, is it just something about this team that kind of broke the system? Because <laughs> and it doesn't sound like you're convinced of that, which is totally fine. I mean, that's part of why I wanted to bring it up is to have a, yeah. a healthy discussion about it. But, um, you know, cause again, you, you mentioned that some of these systems Ken palm being one is a predictive measure and, yeah. you know, I'm always amazed. I shouldn't be, uh, how closely the Ken Palm predicted score, the margin of difference between the two teams is to the opening Vegas line. It's remarkably close. Yeah. Um, but that again, this is predictive stuff and it was just game after game, after game, after game you're seeing Ohio state lose. And again, we, we talked about it. This was actually a topic of discussion on our podcast is that for whatever reason, the, the metric systems are getting it wrong about Ohio state. This was at a point where they had maybe lost five or six in a row and not, you know, 13 or whatever it got to uh, before they finally won. Um, I don't expect that anybody's going to throw their system out the window and say, we got to start from scratch and fix this. But it, it, because it's been close to home, it's been, it's been really interesting to watch because I don't have, for as long as I've been paying attention to this stuff, I don't have another example in the big 10 that was much like this, where this team just absolutely broke their system relative to how the systems were viewing them and what the results were. Ultimately, in terms of wins and losses, as you pointed out, those systems are really much more oriented toward what's the what's the differential going to be, and so I yeah. guess if you're looking at it from that perspective, it's maybe they're maybe not missing as badly. But I can tell you, Ken Palm had a lot of wins predicted for Ohio State that didn't <laughs> materialize. <laughs> a yeah, lot,
2: absolutely. I mean, I think it didn't. I, it's hard to say it broke the system when you look at all of those other predictive metrics and see that they have Ohio state up there too. I mean, I mean all 71. systems, not just Ken Palm. <laughs> okay. Oh, fair, fair. Yeah. <laughs> Cause
3: they, because they all, because I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm sure you know more about this than I do, but they all, they probably assign different weights to different elements to some extent, but, but by and large, they're all taking into account margin
2: of margin of victory or the score differentials, right? 100%. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And I think what the metrics it really need to start taking into consideration, like you said, uh, I, if, a team, if a game is 20 points with five minutes to go and it ends at 40 versus if it's 20 with five minutes to go and it ends at 12, I mean, both of those games were decided with right. five minutes to right. go. Those, those, and I think they do some, but I I know for sure the metrics don't weigh into consideration just like – how that final score came to be as much as they should. I mean, two teams could both win by 12, and one of them could have been a three-point game with a minute left, and it got to 12 on late free throws. The other one could have been a 20-point game in garbage time with all the scrubs in, got it back to 12. And the metrics are pretty much evaluating those the exact same way, where should they? No, but it's kind of hard analytically. I mean... With a formula yeah, to take that true. into consideration, I have, I have
3: sympathy for them, but for exactly that reason, as you say, that that starts to almost stray into the realm of subjectivity, to me. Yeah, and and that's obviously a problem <laughs> when you're trying to to do what they're what these various systems are trying to accomplish, right?
2: Exactly. Yeah. I mean, they're supposed to just be completely analytical, but then yeah, and then you got to. I'm sure there's some way. You could develop a system like, um, I know Eric Haslam with Haslam Metrics. He has a good metric system that has a analytically final to where when the game is pretty much decided, his metric system no longer takes the rest of the game in consideration. I mean, if they started adapting something like that, I think that could be helpful. But again, yeah, it's 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 hard to develop a system for that that's completely yeah. unsubjective.
0: Yeah, Humans, yeah. Humans are
1: always messing things up. Uh, so I l- yes. <laughs> like to go talk to uh, again. I did encourage our listeners. Uh, the other sponsor of our show is brothers that just do gutters. It is cu- springtime in Michigan. Well, it's, we've had ice storms. I don't know what it's like in Texas, but probably, probably not that bad. as what we've got to go on right now. Uh, but I, uh, if you want your gutters fixed, you've got have water problems, contact the brothers that just do gutters. If you're in the, on the West side of the state, all the way from Rockford down to Sogatuck out to the lakeshore and over to Lowell, if you're in that area, Talk to Kurt Stauffer and his his buddies. They're going to take good care of you. Uh, They do gutter cleaning, repair. They'll do replacements. They have all kinds of uh, selections of different colors and different options, leaf guards, all those sorts of things. The thing you never want to think about are your gutters, so make sure you just get them done right. And so talk to Kurt and his team. You can contact me at kurt.stauffer at brothersgutters.com. You can find the links to that in the show notes for uh the podcast if you tell them final four you can get 10 percent off your price uh, so the next question it relates back to what happened on campus in michigan state on F- february 13th we had the shooting two days later we had a basketball game scheduled against minnesota uh i think there's still some michigan state fans uh, inc- me included who are a little salty that rutgers was unwilling to inconvenience themselves in in you know we playing a short rest and moving a game um which okay they did it whatever uh so, but the from an analytic standpoint and from a seating is uh, would it have been at all helpful to Michigan State to play the game I mean we know that for sure it would probably have some impact on their seating for the Big Ten tournament but we already kind of talked about as far as this big Ten goes I mean who the hell knows what your seating really makes a difference in the, the big Ten tournament you have no idea of knowing who you're gonna play and you're not gonna probably get two days rest um, so does it would it Would there any advantage of playing that game or would it actually probably have hurt the analytics for Michigan State to play Minnesota, who is a um, historically bad Big Ten team? I mean, I don't even remember the last team that's been that bad in the Big Ten.
2: No, I mean, I think, like you said, the really only way it's hurting them is in terms of conference seating and hopefully the Big Ten kind of steps in and does something um it's similar to what happened with like buffalo and kansas city in the nfl to where since they're not able to make up the game uh they'll still kind of reward them to where uh, assuming they would have won that game or something along those lines i'm not sure what can be done but maybe hopefully they will but it's whether they do or don't uh, the conference seating really is the only way that's hurting or uh hurting them because playing that game could have absolutely tank them. I mean, like I'm saying, they're pretty much a locklet right now. If they still played Minnesota, I probably wouldn't lock them in yet because <laughs> the loss to them could be the type of thing to where, oh, crap, now that's another really bad loss on the resume. Now we are we better win one of these other games down the stretch. Pressure's on. So, it, and, and also to allude back to earlier, like you said with Tom Izzo, it not blowing teams out late. It, it probably wouldn't have helped the metrics if they went into Minnesota and only one by nine because they were playing some of the the subs late. It probably would have actually lowered the metrics. So I I think in all sense and purposes, as far as avoiding a potentially bad loss, even though it probably wouldn't have happened and the metrics of just not blowing out a bad team. Yeah. I I think it's actually a good thing that you guys aren't playing them as long as it doesn't uh, prevent you from getting the double buy in the conference tournament.
3: Right. Uh, That's that, that's kind of the take I've had the way I've, explained it to people is you can't think about Minnesota this year as a typical last place, big 10 team. They are much more akin to a buy game opponent. You play in November or December, like that's, that's 100%. How poorly they're regarded by the systems, you know? And so there's no upside and quite a bit of downside from playing them. So um, I think. I guess last- the
2: only thing is maybe if you lost to them, that that would help their metrics and make it only Q three. But you still don't want to lose Q three <laughs> no, game either. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah.
3: Um. So, be, it seems to me you're obviously locked into this world. Uh, do you watch a lot of college basketball?
2: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. I mean. I- I'm locked into the numbers just as much as I watch it, but I got my my three TV set up here behind me to watch as many games as I possibly can at all times. So, so uh,
3: beyond, is there anybody beyond Texas state that you particularly root for, pay attention to? Are you, are you more of a big 12 guy in terms of where your attention
2: goes or It's really, I mean, it's, 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 it's wide. I mean, I always like to root for the underdogs. I'll root for seasons where team, like you you were saying Charleston earlier, I was hoping they would keep winning so that that they could get an at large. I I like to root for fun stories like that. Um, It really just depends on storylines each year. Sometimes even if it's our conference team, they'll have a player that I really like just for some random reason in my head. I don't know. I just like, Oh, this guy's cool. And then I start rooting for them. So it it really varies year to year. I'll definitely find myself rooting for teams, whether it's because I just like who they have that year. I like the coach. Um, maybe I'm rooting for a game because, oh, if this team wins, it's going to make uh, seeding them easier. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but as far as a true fandom, not really. Like I said, I went to Texas State. If we got better, I would definitely get a lot more into our college basketball I think uh the year that COVID shut everything down, we actually had a great chance and a good team. So of course that's the one wow. year we don't get our shot, but right. <laughs> um and then uh what was it? My mom went to Ohio and they always do great in the Mac and go on conference runs. So I'll root for sure. them when they're good. My dad they went could, to West yeah. Virginia, so I mean, I'm rooting for them to make it in on the bubble right now, I and mean, I'm not diehard West Virginia by any means, but I'll root for them over other big twelve teams just for that reason. So sure.
1: That's the same as I am with Drake, because that's my dad's alma mater in Missouri Valley.
2: Oh, there you go. Yeah. <clears throat> so yeah, I'm
1: hoping that they <laughs>
2: like if they played Michigan State, of course, you're not rooting for them. But yeah, you got a soft spot right, in your heart exactly. for Drake. <laughs> and
1: I actually I don't even know who each well, I do know each cheer each year for Drake over Michigan State if they end up running the to each other in the tournament. Um well Right. Dom yeah. uh, from so much. Thanks so much for joining the show. Uh can you tell us where do we find Absolutely. your stuff and uh, get I know it, at bracket dom is the best is your Twitter handle. So if you want to find to follow you on Twitter to get your updates and things. And bracketometry.com, anywhere else that we can follow you or get a hold of you?
2: That that's pretty much the main two. No, um, yeah, just follow me at Bracket Dom on Twitter. Pretty much after every single game finishes that has any sort of tournament uh, seeding implications, I'll post updates on that. Um, and like I said on the website Bracketometry, I'll come up with actual full bracket updates at least twice a week. Once March comes, I'm going to start doing that every single day, as I do every single year. Um, and then the link to bracketometry.com, if you don't want to try to spell that, is on my Twitter. So, <laughs> easiest way to find me and get to that is, yeah, just at bracketdom on Twitter. Uh, give me a follow uh, if you like it. If you're into college basketball, and yeah, you can see all my bracket projections. And of course, where Michigan State is week to week on right. there.
1: Well, thank you so much for coming on the show for uh, the Final Fours on the schedule. Uh, we'd love to, love to probably have you on next week before once the uh, Big Ten tournament sort of brackets get set if you want to stop by it'd be great to kind of get our idea for where everyone else is in the bubble because yeah we got to you know two more big two more games for every team and so it's kind of things are going to change quite a bit so uh until next time the final four is not the schedule go green
0: at granger we're for the ones who pay attention to every little detail